Hi there, folks. This is Brock. Just uh, wanted to let you know before we roll this week's episode, uh, it has been a crazy couple of days in the Pacific Northwest and the West Coast entirely. There have been a lot of wildfire uh, incidents that have been enormous and catastrophic. Uh, it's been a pretty difficult time for a lot of folks. If you if you live on the West Coast, you're well aware of some of these things. Uh, and if you watch the news and you're somewhere else, you've probably heard about it too. Um, just wanted to let everybody listening know that uh, our hearts go out to those who may have been affected, impacted by the effects of some of these fires. Uh, there have been some devastating losses. And uh, I know that uh, particularly in the Pacific Northwest, there are some uh, reputable relief organizations that have been doing some work. I know that the American Red Cross has been responding in my area, and uh, there are, I'm certain, other charities and organizations that are helping to lighten the load. So just wanted to let you know if you have some some spare change you can donate that you should uh, make sure that you send something uh, that might be able to help some folks who might need the relief. So with that, we're going to roll the conversation that we have with Russ from The Pathless Pedaled. Um, and so you uh, may have seen this on the YouTube channel. If not, you can go watch us there for Path Less Pedaled. Um, and uh, this was a really fun conversation. So uh, thanks, and here we go. What is your favorite Montana beer so far? Uh, whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> Do they have like a local distillery? or There is, and it's oh. actually pretty good. Uh what they're called montgomery distillers it's in downtown and they do they do a good job that downtown has gotten really nice over the past couple years yeah i think last time i was there when things were open um it's gotta be close to four years ago and you had like the one hippie vegan place and then bars and brew pubs and the brew pubs were fine but it is just kind of like one thing Hey, how's it going? How's it going? Good. You got your favorite shirt on. I know. <laughs> One of my four shirts. <laughs> it's all good. I find myself in a similar camp these days. Yeah. That's how the pros do it. I mean, there's there's no reason to dress up anymore, right? <laughs> I thought this was dressed up. Well, I am wearing pants, but... <laughs> that's true. I, I wasn't wearing pants a little Get, bit. Ago. Getting fancy. Got through getting fancy. <laughs> now yeah. that's dressed up. Notice how the camera's angled. This is <laughs> the new professional pose. Yeah. Yeah. So how's Salem? It's not so bad. You know, so bad. <laughs> that's the official town slogan. Not so bad. I made some Have stickers you... and I've been trying to kind of slowly put them up around town, just kind of surreptitiously, but it's yeah. also the sort of thing that we, um, I mean, there's only so many places we can go right now and For going sure. out's kind of, uh, less of a thing than it used to be at the moment. So right. yeah. So my, my campaign to uh, to throw stickers up has been slow. I feel like an unreasonably bias. Pretty much everybody I talk to you about Salem, <laughs> not <laughs> against per se, but my experience was different than some other people's. <laughs> so I'm glad you have the stickers. It's it's reversing the trend. I need to be less cynical about it. Well, I mean, there's also I, I think I'm also cynical in a different direction because there's there are bumper stickers around town that say "Make Salem Awesome," and I think that's trying just a little too hard. That's trying <laughs> so. way too hard. Yeah, let's be realistic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I so think Salem is not so bad. Yeah. Yeah. We have an asterisk that says closes at 5 p.m. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Make Salem awesome between the hours of 9 and 5 p.m. Nice. I'm sure I don't have to tell you, Russ, you look very professional. 
Thank you. All, all, <laughs> all, all the gear, like the, it's all crisp and focused. It's incredible. See, unlike, unlike a podcast, you have to look good and sound good. Unfortunately, I, see that, that's where. Yeah, that's why we do what we do. Yeah, I think I exclaimed today. Shit, I got to shave. This is live stream. <laughs> yeah, I I shaved, but I also I recognize that this laptop I'm using is what 2011. And so uh, the quality is super grainy. <laughs> so if I didn't shave, you probably wouldn't be able to tell. Relying on the uh, yeah on the resolution. Oh. Yeah. All right. I mean, honestly, for Max, I feel like it's about the same as the 2019 machines. <laughs> I just really haven't put a new camera in those things in ages. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Russ, are we? Uh, c- can we say profanities or not? Uh, <laughs> you can. Okay. Um, because if yeah. you don't want us to, I'll censor myself. But <laughs> I mean, you're not gonna do like an Andrew Dice Clay, are you? <laughs> no, no. Okay, well, there goes my plan. First, <laughs> hang on, uh, rewriting show notes. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for being available. By the way, this is fun. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Counter running, going live, initiated. Welcome back, everybody, to another live stream, and today. Today's show is going to, going to be a little bit different. It's going to be a meta show because I'm going to introduce my friends uh, from the Sprocket podcast, uh, a podcast that I've been on a couple times. It's been one of the long-standing bikey podcasts on the internet, and uh, we're going to do their show live, but I'm going to kick it off with a quick interview so you get to know them. But before we join our guests and start this, this podcast, I do want to thank our Patreon supporters. You guys make this content possible, and if you like uh, the YouTube channel and its focus on the non-competitive side of cycling. Uh, all the links, befo- all the links below uh, to support the channel via Patreon and all that good stuff. And welcome to the show, guys. This is a Sprocket podcast. Woo! This is great. <laughs> I love um, it. So you guys have been on for for quite a while. How many years has it been since the Sprocket podcast has started? <laughs> I think technically this is going to be 10 in what November was the first taping back in 2010. So, uh, that was when I started and Aaron, you, uh, you came in in 2012, 2011. Um, thereabouts. so I, I rarely go by years. I go by episode number, Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> which is actually even more misleading because we've released so many like under like two thirty a B or whatever. So, um, I do know I started as a regular host on episode 200. That's that yeah. would be like two years in. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How many episodes do you guys have total now on the podcast? This would be five thirty one. I believe. That's Holy right. smokes. That is, that is some commitment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then Guthrie, you've been uh, with us for about two years now, right? Yeah, that sounds about right. For those that aren't aware, uh, just really quickly, what is the Sprocket podcast about? What, do, what kind of stories do you guys cover? Uh, I, I think you summed it up pretty well with the non-competitive angle. I, I think we were talking before we went live. You're the more professional, I think, uh, when it comes <laughs> to just technical aspects and everything. You, you've really got it together. Uh, we're still working on that part. But uh, the non-competitive <laughs> cycling and uh, uh, general BS uh, when it comes to uh, bicycles and what you do on two wheels when you're not trying to get ahead of the other guy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a there's I feel like there's a big dearth in the content around this kind of I don't want to just say casual cycling, but non-competitive cycling. And I think COVID's a pretty good opportunity to bring that content out to the masses just because there are some new cyclists since the, the pandemic. So Oh yeah. Uh our local shops can't even hold 
bikes in their in their inventory. Uh, every time I go to a shop, they're like, "Yeah, we just sold our last one yesterday," <laughs> which I guess is a great problem to have. That just means there's more bikes out there. Yeah, yeah. a lot more people are biking. Um, I think in some way this is an experiment to uh, prove how big of an umbrella bicycling really is. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we've had people on, you know, that do the whole uh, utility bike. We have like, you know, people with Bach feats and, and all that. We have family bikers on. Um, and we've even had a few racers, and I'm going to put that in heavy quotes, on, <laughs> you know, because um, we rarely talk about like racing specifically, but it's mostly just, you know, what is your experience on a bike? And there's just so many stories out there. And yeah. it's such a wide variety. I think something underlines the show is a lot of folks we approach to talk with say, oh, I'm not a, you know, quote unquote cyclist. And that's great. We're like, yes, well, we would love to talk to you. Because, <laughs> um, I, I think anybody that has an interaction or is thinking of interacting with a bicycle, um, they have a very, they have, they have a home with us. And we, we love talking with folks who are just all different um, levels and approaches to cycling. I think your quote, on Twitter, put it pretty well, like welcoming people to the sport versus welcoming people <laughs> to ride bicycles. Uh, right. <laughs> that's some stuff, what we try to do pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. Like they're, they're, uh, got these referencing, referencing a, a bicycle, bicycling article about, uh, you know, welcoming new cyclists to the sport of cycling. And I had tweeted that no one does that for driving. No one says, welcome to the sport of driving. You just become a driver, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's um, even less become a rite of passion passage that a lot of people have made it to be you know back when you get your license it was like you know now now the world is yours it's way less than what it used to be yeah for sure uh cool so we've got some people in the chat here let us know where you are watching from and if you are already familiar with this rocket podcast or listen to you know one of their 500 episodes which is just incredible uh brass tacks uh where can people listen to the the podcast on the internet on the internet. <laughs> where podcasts can be found. Yeah, the sprocketpodcast.com is kind of a, a catch-all. Like, if, if you go there, that's where we are. Uh, but, yeah, we're on iTunes, Spotify, and all the other places that you get part of. It's not even called iTunes anymore. It's Apple Podcasts, right? So, uh, yeah, that's how old I am. <laughs> so, when you, when you, Brock, when you started the podcast, do you think it would be still going like a, a decade on? I had no idea. I, I think I kind of hoped that it would, and I assumed that it wouldn't. And uh, <laughs> I've been happy to see that. I think largely in great part to Aaron and Guthrie being really willing. I had a couple of life changes that have uh, taken me to new places and taken more of my time. And, and now I'm a father. So I have a kid to uh, do things with as well. And so I've just got less time in, in all, but uh, Aaron and Guthrie have been incredible uh, as well as uh, our new, uh, we've got some other new sub co-hosts that are becoming full-time co-hosts that are uh, dropping in now. And I think uh, the thing I'm most excited about with the Sprocket is that it's become like this enormously large tent. It's way bigger than just me in my bedroom with a couple of microphones. So I'm really happy about that. Yeah. Yeah. You're not even in your bedroom right now. I know, right? (laughs) So we got bike vids here in the chat from Santa Cruz, California. Loves the Sprocket podcast for sure. Hey, bike Uh, vids. Is that Greg? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. 
Uh, let's see. If you guys have any questions for Sprocket Podcasts, ask them very quickly before I turn over the show format. And we do a, a super fancy NPR style live podcast. <laughs> oh, are we supposed to get our NPR? You ready for this, Aaron? How about unfancy NPR style? Right. <laughs> We're like more like tiny super tiny desk style or something right. <laughs> My, micro desk micro yeah. desk <laughs> yeah we were talking style we were talking Some earlier that, concerts. yeah that you guys doing a podcast it's audio only um you know whereas doing a live stream on on the the youtubes it's like you have to sound good and look good at the same time <laughs> Less pre- less pressure on the podcast, so, except for this one. Sorry, guys. <laughs> so, at what point should I professionally whiten my teeth? Right. Like, should I have done I'd that say earlier? About Fifteen minutes that, in. Yeah. That, yeah. Okay. Nice. Right before the hard hitting journalism. <laughs> I'm just glad I have a face for radio. That's all I have. To say. <laughs> Nice. So how is, uh, I mean, obviously you guys are all uh, kind of co-hosting remotely. How else has COVID kind of changed the show? Um, well, we used to concentrate mostly on in-person interviews. Um, mm-hmm. We've had a studio, whether it was Brock's basement or um, the last version was borrowing from a studio space from X-Ray, our local radio station here. Um, and... We we loved that. We're very excited about in person, um, and obviously that was an impossibility. And uh, what was, I guess, the flip side of that was that broadened our guest range. You know, now we could get from potentially all over the world. Uh, right. Yeah. So that's I would say the biggest change. We have this backlog because that's like Aaron was saying, kind of what we fight against is we're like, oh, I would love to interview this person. So you send an email and they're like, I'm coming to Portland and so and so. And like maybe it works out or maybe it doesn't. So we I think we had like probably over 20 or 30 people that there's been an email with at some point in time that didn't make it to Portland that we get a chance to catch up with now. So that's really great. Yeah. Yeah. I would even extend that call here if if you've contacted us and we haven't gotten back to you, <laughs> contact <laughs> us again, please. Yeah. just keep on writing until yeah. we say hey what's you'll get up? on eventually because you'll <laughs> put on anybody <laughs> well i think one of the things too is like uh one of the recent episodes that we just put out was with uh johnny moses who did the oh, yeah. gdmbr uh and aside from that being now my new favorite acronym i think it's <laughs> i'm a big fan of what johnny's up to a big fan of the film and we never would have had a chance i mean i guess with the chance would have been there but we it wasn't where we were focused and now like you say uh we're we're considering people from all over and it's making it easier and technology has gotten frankly a lot more easy to use i think uh when i started doing remote interviews in 2011 uh we were using skype and skype is no better now than it was then but it's just <laughs> kind of been not a great option anyways uh and with uh, with a bunch of new platforms and people getting used to it like it's it's kind of the um like this is what people do now and so there's a lot more uh people are used to the video conference technology and the video conference thing works a lot better. Cause I think, what'd you say, Aaron? I think uh, we tried uh, when we first transitioned out of the studio doing just audio only, and that just didn't, didn't work. It was as well, all but right? impossible. Yeah. Right. <laughs> we were talking all over each other. Like there, there's definitely, there's a, there's a communication that happens when you see somebody there's body yeah. language and then there's eye contact and even, even though the the video conferencing is is um, 
uh, not as obviously not as good as, as in person. It's yards better than just completely <laughs> audio. You know, I don't know. I, I've never liked talking on the phone, but it's like even worse when you're trying to make a recording out of what is essentially talking over the phone. Right. What we should do is we should hire some actors to read our transcriptions of text uh, threats, right? And just get that put onto podcasts. Yes. I think that'd be, that could yes. be really compelling content. That, then you'd be comfortable. I'd be comfortable. Guthrie, you cool with that? Works for me. It's like, All right, yeah. cool. All right. Sounds good. I'll, I'll look at our budget. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, I'm going to check in with the YouTube comments real quick. Uh, bike bids. Yes, it was Greg. He said that was a great episode and super documentary. Um, yeah, you know, co- you know, if there's an upside to to COVID as a content creator, it has made getting remote guests a lot easier. And like you guys said, you know, the technology has kind of facilitated, you know, just chatting with people, and people are at home because there's nothing to do. <laughs> <Yeah>. so, <laughs> okay, so I think with that, I'm going to turn it over to you guys, and um, you guys, the YouTube audience, get to witness the magic of the Sprocket Podcast. Uh, behind the scenes in real time. Um, all right, so let's make it happen. All right, yeah. Turn, turn you over to you guys. <laughs> Emphasis on behind the scenes, gentlemen. Uh, who's reading what? Ooh, we've never had three readers on there. Uh, should we just go in turn? I could be number three. We'll try. Okay, sweet. This is what we do. We just bungle along as usual. That's great. <laughs> Yeah, this is actually uh, one of the advantages of an audio podcast is that we can edit these things after the fact. It's going to sound amazing in post. <laughs> All right. Do you got the queue up, Aaron, or do you want to read it cold? Oh, no, I've got it. Hang on a second. Yeah. Let's do it. Is that going through? Yeah. Welcome to the Sprocket Podcast, where we're simplifying the good life. I'm Guthrie Straw. And I'm Aaron Flores, broadcasting from the People's Republic of Portland, nestled in the heart of Cascadia. And I'm Brock Dittis, and we are the show that brings you somewhat irreverent conversations about the intricacies of thinking locally with a global perspective and enjoying the best that life has to offer along the way. Covering bicycling, trains, and transit, adventures, and life hacks, and today, we got Russ Roca of The Path Less Pedaled. The Path Less Pedaled, <laughs> which I think we can, we can honestly say is our favorite bicycle brand yes. uh, out there. Uh, so, just in bicycle media and bicycling culture, the best brand. Oh, yeah. Um, you, have you copyrighted The Pond Less Fish yet? I have not. Okay. <laughs> Next steps. <laughs> the Pond Less Pedal Fished. <laughs> The, the river fish less, less the rifled. Fish. Yes, the <laughs> fish less bicycle. <laughs> Russ is a content creator, YouTuber, and good friend and fellow of the show. Thank you so much for joining us this evening, Russ. It's a pleasure to have you. Yeah, it's good to, to be back. I think I've been on a couple times, at least like three, I think. All yeah. all in various like stages of, of life and, and bikiness, which is kind of fascinating. Well, I think what I'd like to do, if it's okay with the rest of you guys, uh, I'd, I'd like to go over, first of all, the historical connection and intersections of the Pathless Pedal and the Sprocket Podcast. I don't have the episode numbers, but I do have uh, years 
2011, uh, first of, I think Russ, you and Laura were on the podcast uh, on episode eight. I want to say, like, oh dang, that's early. <laughs> you were our very first guests that we did not know personally. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> what an honor. Yeah, well, and and I remember because uh, I had been following. I'm a big fan of bicycle travel, and uh, I believe when you started the uh, was it was a website, it was a blog. uh, You started uh, sharing content back then, and uh, I feel bad I didn't do my research, but is it still archived all the way back? Like, can people? It is, yeah. Yeah. Back back to but when we were selling all all the stuff, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, just uh, it was something that was uh, something I wanted to do, but wasn't in a position to, I guess. And uh, you guys were essentially living the life that I uh, fantasized about. And so, you had just finished. Was it two years on the road? Uh, yeah, about uh, two and some change, and we were wintering in Portland. Then. That's right. Yeah, uh, and I think uh, I, if I remember correctly, that was when you decided to stay in Portland for, for some time for an extended period. Uh, right. so I'm glad that the city won you over for a little while. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and it was, uh, it was a gift to the city that you were there as well. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, 2011, uh, that was when we met and we had you come in. And, uh, so I'll put the plug in for episode eight. Uh, that was, uh, you folks fresh off the road telling stories about what it was like to, uh, to ride. And at that time your setups were surly long haul truckers. Is that right? Yeah, surely long haul truckers, four panniers, handlebar bag, and a and a Ortley duffel across the back. So definitely That's the right. o- opposite of ultralight. <laughs> <laughs> well, and if I remember correctly, an extension cord because uh, there's free electricity and bathrooms, but you should edit video that is in true. the bathroom. That, pro tip: yeah. <laughs> you got to charge things. <laughs> pro tip: don't and, edit video in the bathroom. <laughs> precisely uh i think after that uh you folks came back later in the year to talk about your brompton tour because uh at that point bromptons were a new thing to you as well and uh i remember it was a it was a uh, fundraising thing a pledge what's the term like uh crowd funding yes yeah we were yeah we were crowdsourcing like a a bike and and train um you know documenting how that works just because we're, we're fans of multimodal transit and it's you know a good way to, to make bike touring more accessible uh we did an indiegogo didn't quite uh hit the mark but we we traveled anyways and made some videos about it yeah and the plus of indiegogo is you get to keep whatever you raise right as opposed yes. to uh, other crowdfunding platforms which will just pull your pull your entire project out from under you yeah. uh so you got to go you had bromptons and i think you you had some really instructive uh travel tips for people with bromptons because you were you were doing all kinds of innovative things that i think people might have done before but no one was thinking about and i think you brought them a lot farther into the fore of kind of bicycling and bicycle travels thought process in general so uh that was episode number two uh, not episode number two, but the second one that you joined us for. Uh, skip ahead to 2012, and you had been to New Zealand. Mm-hmm. And then you came back. Uh, and I believe we talked to you on your return, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, New Zealand, famously, uh, where you guys had an amazing time, and you got punched in the face. Yeah. Inter- instant of international road rage. Um, yeah which is kind of nuts. And it led to interesting experiences afterwards, um, you know, getting invited to tea with uh, the mayor of uh, Christchurch, um, staying with like the equivalent of a congressperson in New Zealand. 
And yeah, it was strange times. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and just absolutely beautiful. I think it was like at that time, the Lord of the Rings was only what under 10 years old and everybody still had that fresh in their minds too. And so it was the perfect time to go to New Zealand. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then let's see, uh, let's skip forward. I want to say it might've been 2013 when uh, you were producing an advertisement for local Portland bicycle shop, Clever Cycles, for the Dutch Tub, which was the uh, wood-fired, <laughs> rentable, delivered by bike, RIP backyard Dutch hot tub. tub. Yeah, I mean, they're uh, still around. They're just not rentable anymore, right? No. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, the Dutch Tub itself is still around. The the one at Clever Cycles is gone. Yeah. yeah. For our yeah. listeners, real quick, what's a what's a Dutch Tub? If anyone hasn't heard of before. It's uh, a Dutch t- a Dutch tub is basically a, a big wood fired hot tub. Um, I think it was a Swedish company, and the the company or uh, the bike shop in town, Clever Cycles, would deliver it to to your door. You could rent it. I can actually show the video clip. Can I do that just for the? For the oh yeah! Whole, oh sure. Watch. Let's take this trip down memory lane. I don't know if it's going to play the audio. If it doesn't, you have to narrate it, Brock. Oh, sure. Yeah. Is it playing audio? No. Okay. So that's uh, Brock uh, <laughs> uh, half half dressed in the Dutch tub. Yes. And that's what it looks like for the YouTube viewers. <laughs> Basically a giant bowl of soup with some kind of coals in which you build a fire next to. And uh, yeah, for, for a time you could rent it in Portland. There's a, there's the coils. You have to stoke it. And I think it took, a couple hours. You, you really have to work at it to, to get it hot. But bicyclists uh, are big fans of Stoke, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so in the in the this tutorial video that we're showing, it shows what's included. You get some kindling. Uh, what was that? A walk and a uh, paddle yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and a big fire starter. Um, one of the big things is you had to shim the Dutch tub because you, you had to imagine it's this giant bowl of a boiling hot or not boiling really hot water. And you don't want it tipping over because it would be literally a hot mess. <laughs> mm-hmm. Nor do you, yeah. <laughs> and nor do you want the fire to go anywhere. Right. Uh, Dutch tub kit did not come with that robe though. It, that, that you have on in the video, Brock. That's true. Yeah. The robe I brought with me. <laughs> it was exciting. It was a fun morning. I, I feel like it was a little bit chilly. Um, and How was yeah, press I, services during that shoot? Was it? It was, it was amazing. I, it, <laughs> I I got several servings of whiskey, as I recall. Because <laughs> <laughs> it it took a while to get it up to temperature, like hours. It did. It did. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it, you can be in the water for some of the time, but not all the time. So I love this part of the, the video. Sorry, YouTube audience or uh, podcast audience, but you can actually cook on the fire element. I think that's what the walk was for. That's so right. We, yeah, we made some tea. Um, so it was basically part camp stove, part hot tub. Um, and there's yeah, the wash. Shrimp. You could put shrimp in there. <laughs> you could. And we did. <laughs> Let me fast forward to the <laughs> enjoy. So well, last minute, uh, beauty shots again, Brock. <laughs> I like that. There's an off, off camera person that's stirring the water. For yeah. Him. That's the thing that, yeah. These phantom hands just from off camera. <laughs> so and there's, yeah. there it is on the bike. That's right. And that's, that is the Dutch set people really so. was glorious. And so I, I want to thank you Russ for the opportunity. Cause that was, uh, 
I, that's another thing I never saw coming. I think when right. the podcast started. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, and then 2014 Oregon scenic bikeways, you had always been doing a little bit of video editing. Um, but, uh, this, I think you, you contracted out, you started uh, making things for other people and Oregon has a, a nice scenic bikeway program. And so I think you did some, both some interviews and some promos and that sort of thing. Um, what do you remember about that? Cause you, you did a number of those. Yeah. So Oregon scenic bikeway, you know, it's, uh, I think there's 14 or 15 iconic routes throughout the state. And it was actually one of our first and largest like, uh, jobs as a video production company. Like, uh, I, I literally ordered a bunch of, uh, camera gear for the very first shoot and had it shipped to John day, like via Amazon prime. And the day before we're leaving, I'm like unboxing a slider, you know, a camera and a lens. Oh, wow. And, um, you know, initially they, they had asked us to write a story and take photography and the creative director at the time at Travel Oregon said, Hey, can you make videos while you're out there? And I said, of course I can, you know, I've been watching (laughs) YouTube tutorials. (laughs) I do this a lot. Yeah. 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 Um, so they commissioned us to do the first one. Didn't really know where it was going to go, but they liked it enough to, to hire us for next. I think we had that contract for about four or five years and do the following, um, the rest of the videos around that, that project. But that was that was really trial by fire because the first one it was Laura and I and her brother as a talent, and then um, you know we met with the creative director again and they're like, okay, can you do eight more this year and work with different talent? So we went we very quickly went from you know myself just Amazoning Amazon priming a bunch of camera equipment to becoming a, a mini like video production company, um, and that just really accelerated the the learning curve in, in all all things of video production. It's pretty incredible. I, I do appreciate, I, I remember, I think when the call went out for, uh, for talent and I, I really wanted to be a part of it, but I also remember that, uh, I think there was a bit of a push for, uh, for people that w- didn't necessarily look like a, a big white dude, like I am. And, uh, I really appreciate that you guys worked, worked hard to find, uh, a, a variety of different people, um, of different appearances from different backgrounds that were able to represent, uh, the opportunities in Oregon. And, uh, that, that's, uh, an early step, I think towards towards kind of being aware of, of kind of the lack of representation of all kinds of people in bicycling media. So I'm glad yeah, that, you did that. Yeah, that was actually, you know, looking back, that's one of the things that we were most proud of uh, in doing that project. Not so much learning how to fly a drone and all that stuff. <laughs> but, the, but the career director had said, okay, you have to, to you know, you want to show diversity. Um, and, you know, it was in Portland, Portland, you know, aspect of the Portland bikey scene is, is, is pretty white. And we really stretched to, to find, make sure that women were represented, uh, people of color when, when, where, wherever we could would find them were represented. And at the time, you know, uh, when those videos came out, there was no other bicycle, or at least to my knowledge, bicycle destination marketing that didn't have just, you know, your typical roadies, um, as part of, uh, the, the, the marketing collateral. So I think, that was a, that's the thing that that's the one aspect of the project that, that we were most proud of. Yeah. And deservedly. So I, it's, it's really one of the most valuable things I think you could have done with that opportunity and, and you did it. So thank you. Uh, and then, uh, there were other things that happened in Portland, but uh, I think my last memory was, uh, the party at uh, ride with GPS where, uh, everybody bid you a fond farewell. Uh, what took you away from Portland and why, why must we, uh, why must we, be in such a terrible position not to have you here. And what can we do to bring you back? Right. Uh, ultimately, what it was was uh, Laura took a job with the Adventure Cycling, 
you know, it's an organization that we respected for a long time. And this opportunity came up for her to um, kind of manage the U.S. bicycle route system. And, you know, at the time we were also getting into to fishing um, and wanted to do more outdoor stuff. We were kind of bummed that you had to drive, you know, an hour to uh, Sandy Ridge to ride mountain bikes, you know, one, something with more kind of local outdoor access and stars just aligned. And that's what brought us here currently to Missoula. Uh, Laura's, uh, last day at adventure cycling coincidentally was last week. Ah. Uh, <laughs> so now, now, now she's a full-time intern at Pat Plus Well, that means you she, can come back then. So yes, I'm hearing your free agents now. <laughs> yeah, well, we're definitely, you know, with the YouTube, that's one of the, the big luxuries is that, you know, we don't have to be physically tied. We just need a place where we can have at least decent Wi-Fi once a week to do live streams and, you know, upload videos. So uh, we are kind of looking at places potentially with less winter. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I would say, Oh yeah. It it seems like you get a pretty good testing ground for what you're up to these days though. There's, there's definitely those advantages as opposed to, you know, for Portland to your example, you'd have to ride a fair bit to uh, put the bikes through the ringer, even in that respect. Yeah, just out the door, you know, we've got, you know, single track, like maybe two miles that way, um, taking single track to more single track, um, you know, within maybe eight minutes, but there's a nice gravel climb. You can climb, you know, up to 2000 feet if you want, and then take single track down or gravel road down. So in terms of like a, a compact place to live with good testing grounds for bikes, it's, it's pretty good. And the fishing's good. I mean, there's a, you know, we're about a block away from, a creek that holds trout, <laughs> you know? Uh, so in terms of the outdoor stuff, it, it's pretty good. Um, there's just a lot of winter <laughs> and it's long. Yeah. I, I mean, I think we're all used to living in Oregon where, especially in Western Oregon, where the winters, even if there is some snow or some ice occasionally, they're pretty mild. Uh, how do you spend your winters in Missoula? Uh, oof. <laughs> or should I ask? <laughs> uh, you, most, you don't have most, to say any more than that. <laughs> uh, that's when I explore other hobbies, such as watercolors. <laughs> right on. And uh, you know, I'll switch to trail running at, at a certain point, just because it's it's easier than uh, fat biking. Or last winter, you know, our winter sport was Arizona <laughs> until COVID. And I, I think we might do something similar this winter as well. Like we gave you know, the first two winners an, an honest try, uh, but it's just, you know, some people are, are cold weather people. I'm, I'm not one of those, those persons. <laughs> now it's important to reckon with that. And, and yeah. to know, especially like you say, if you're at a point of opportunity where you could relocate uh, and you know, all of your work and, and all of your other obligations kind of uh, lend themselves to that, then why not find a place that, uh, gives you a winter that you can work with. Right. Yeah. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about watercolor? Cause you, uh, you're pretty damn good at it. Thanks. Uh, yeah, you know, it really did come out of winter <laughs> <laughs> and also just fatigue from editing videos all day. Like I wanted a very like analog, um, just hobby and watercolor was that, uh, Ironically, I spent a lot of time watching YouTube uh, tutorial videos <laughs> on how to watercolor, so I didn't quite escape the computer. But yeah, so I've been doing it for you know quasi seriously for the last two years. Um, we've had some uh, mini like watercolor shows. 
our hope was uh, pre-COVID was to do like kind of a, a moving uh, bikey watercolor show at different bike shops. And we did a couple of them. And then, um, you know, pandemic happened. We drove straight back here. But it's it's been a it's been a fun kind of hobby. Uh, we made some postcards and, and sell those. So, yeah. What do the shows at bike shops look like? Uh, so the last one we had was at transit in, um, in Tucson and they're pretty chill. Like we'll, we'll work with the bike shop to, to help promote it. We'll kind of move the furniture around and I'll hang up anywhere between a dozen to maybe 20, uh, paintings of various sizes. Uh, there's a couple behind me, which are, are blurry, uh, really just simple presentation, just clothesline and clothespins. And, you know, it's just a fun way to, to mingle with people, talk about bikes and art, uh, but to have a, just to have like another kind of point of interest there. Cause you know, like at some bike gatherings, it's just, it just turns into drinking just like all beer. So by having that, that art aspect, there is like, you know, another, another touch point of conversation and, and interaction. Sure. What, so. what made you choose watercolor as a medium? Um, mostly because it's fairly portable. Like you can get super yeah. tiny watercolor kits um, doesn't require any solvents unlike oils or acrylics. And I don't know, it's kind of, it's, it's really challenging. It's controlled chaos Yeah. because with, with oils and acrylics, you know, you can go light over dark or curve over light. Yeah. yeah. But with watercolor, um, you know, there's a very specific process in which you yeah. have to paint and you never really have full control at least if you paint in a loose style. So it's this kind of controlled chaos on, on the page, which is, which is exciting. Do you use a uh, dry fabric or do you wet it down before? Uh, This might be a little bit in the weeds, but I'm very curious (laughs) about this. Yeah. So there's different techniques. Like if you want uh, a soft edge, you know, you go well and wet, so you pre-wet the the paper and then you put in pigment and then that creates like a kind of blurry bokeh effect, if you will, like a, like a blurred camera focus. Uh, but if you want more kind of sharper details, then you paint, you know, wet onto dry. Paper's dry, pigment stays put. And that's part of the thing I, I like about watercolors is that there are so many techniques. And it's a 2D medium, right? It's flat. Right. But you have to kind of create the illusion of depth. So, uh, you know, working with like lost lost and found edges, soft edges, hard edges, um, you know, that's it's constant challenge <laughs> yeah and there's there's a transparency to watercolor you have to plan ahead a lot you know you can't just lay down a color and go like oh wait i wanted to put this other thing underneath that or on top of it like well you, yeah you, you have to go you work from light to dark yeah uh, so if you, there's a, a part on the page that you want pure white you can't touch it yeah. um because once you you know touch it you can't make it lighter you can't you know it's not like a acrylic or oil where you can just dab a a lighter color so it's very um it's chaos but with some rules (laughs) that kind of structures the process and so many uh parallels to bicycling i think because like kind of like riding on a little gravel road like there there are no like really firm and clear boundaries and uh the day gets darker and uh, you get stuck out because you got lost because you didn't plan ahead so uh we're also like you're just controlling the bike you know if you if you're descending gravel and you're totally you know, ham fisting it like super tight, you know, that's when you're, you know, you have to let it move around you a little bit and, and kind of work with the, you know, work with the terrain. Let go, let it happen. <laughs> to some extent. Uh, <laughs> you gotta, then you got to break a little bit too. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm curious for gravel, you know, cause at least around where we're at, um, there is gravel to be found, but it's not the, 
uh, most common mode of, of roads that one could cycle on. Uh, would you have any tips for folks who maybe live around gravel or have thought about picking up a bike or kind of getting into it? Because uh, a lot of folks I talk with, gravel is a, a definite uh, barrier to entry or there's a bit of trepidation or burden with that. Um, what, what, what's, what have been some of your findings or would you have recommendations for folks looking to get started if they're living around gravel? Yeah. I mean, the biggest thing is, um, you know, tires are, are probably the most important, you know, component on your bike. Um, well at all times, but in particular, uh, with gravel, uh, you know, it's only part of the bike that touches the ground and, you know, how high the pressure is or how low is going to dictate, you know, whether you get rattled to death or how much purchase your, your tires have, um, you know, on, on the surface, I'd say, you know, run them slightly lower than you would think. Uh, we, we have this one interview with the, the guy that owns uh, Silka, you know, the, the pump brand. But prior to that, he was a big engineer uh, working with, to develop the first aero uh, uh, wheels and, and bikes. It consulted with like Lance Armstrong, Peter Sagan, all that stuff. And we have, we have this whole episode on, on trying to find your ideal tire pressure. And it can be summed, summed up with this. If it feels fast, it's not. And what you're looking for is smooth. So typically what happens is people pump up their tires super hard and that transmits all the high frequency vibrations. And that's like a proxy for speed, but because it's so hard, you're kind of bumping over the surface and that's super easy to do on a gravel road, right? Instead of moving forward, you're spending, expending a lot of energy going up and down. Whereas if you had a wider tire, more supple tire, run at lower pressures, the tire will kind of deform over the surface, make for a smoother ride. And you'll ultimately uh, just, just go, go, go quicker. Um, even though it doesn't thing, feel as fast, right? Even though it doesn't feel as fast. Well, when it feels fast, it, it's actually suboptimal <laughs> is what that's, he says. Wow. Okay. <laughs> that's interesting. Yeah. He, uh, he walks around, you know, he'll go to the big races like, uh, Perry Roubaix, uh, you know, where there's big cobble sections. And he said, he's got this, uh, this super ultra, um, accurate gauge and he carries it in like a Beretta case. And on the case, it, <laughs> yeah. on the case, it says the truth, uh, because he found even because <laughs> what he found was even on pro teams, you know, they can have you know, the the gauges on their their pumps could be wildly inaccurate, so you can never dial it in exactly. Um, so he bring it, you know, when he's you know consulting with like a uh, Bora Hansgrove or something, you know, and Peter's you know going to go for the win at a uh, Perry Roubaix, uh, they'll make decisions on. Um, you know, where they think the decisive moment in the race is going to happen, whether it's going to be on the cobbles, then they'll run it a little bit lower. If they think it's going to happen um, on the paved section, then they'll run it a little bit higher and really think it out. And I know like it, my channel is all about non-competitive cycling and that is true, but I do appreciate the science. <laughs> <laughs> and you don't have to be competitive to like science. As a matter of fact, it's better if you're not. Right. Um, it's, well, I mean, and again, I don't want to, I don't want to rain on a parade of anybody who likes to do anything, uh, go do the thing. If it doesn't hurt somebody else, that's great. Yeah. Uh, but, but also, yes, I mean, uh, th there's a lot that science can teach us even if, uh, even if we're not competitive, just because we're not trying to win races doesn't mean that we don't want the newest, the most current, the best <laughs> knowledge available. And uh, I, I suppose with that, there's a couple things that, that made me think of this. One, what you mentioned that sometimes uh, bicycling events can just evolve into drinking. But I did want to ask you, uh, when you are in Portland, is there any particular shop that you like to go to to procure your own alcoholic beverages? 
Um, yeah, so I was talking to Aaron about this uh, bef- before the show started. He asked me what my favorite beer was. I was like, it's whiskey. <laughs> um, <laughs> I just can't do, the, I can't do it. I can't do the gluten anymore. Like, I get really puffy and gassy, but for some reason, like, you know, scotch or bourbon or something, uh, you know, doesn't bother me as much. Uh, so, yeah. So in terms of my favorite uh, liquor store, it was the one that was close to Clever Cycles. I forget what it was called, ah. uh, but they always like across had, the street. Or no, uh, no, you're was, talking about the liquor store. Yeah, the liquor store. Oh, it, was, okay. it, was ne- yeah. it was next to the Burgerville. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, it's a good combo, had, right? Yeah. <laughs> but it's they like had a super in Hawthorne. Um, yeah, that place. I think it's just called Hawthorne Liquor Store. Something like yeah. But they've got a really good selection. Um, you know, at the time I was super into bourbon, and they had a what was it called? It was a bourbon by Willet, like a, a 107, a Willet 107 bourbon. And it was before it became super popular. Uh, it sounds so hipster now, but, <laughs> <laughs> hey, but sometimes that, you're just into something before it's cool. It, yeah. it happens. But back then, I mean, it was the, one of the bike be- fishing. Yeah, it was one of the best drinking bourbons, and you you could buy for twenty five dollars. But then That's after not blew- bad, right? After it blew up, now it's like it's it's always out of stock, and if it is in stock, it's like fifty or sixty bucks. But they always okay. had like a, a steady supply of it there. <laughs> there we go. Well, nice. Well, you know where there's a place nearby to the liquor store that Russ mentioned that also happens to have some pretty fine beverages. Why it's yes, even yes, on I the do. same street <laughs> as far as the numbered avenues. It's true, Twelfth Avenue. Yes. Nice. Just further south on Division. <laughs> That's that would right. Be at- the beer mongers. Ah, open, nice tie-in. <laughs> open consecutively for more than 4,000 days now. Yes, congratulations uh, they, They've again. never closed ever since they opened wow. for any reason. Uh, you can always get your beer, especially in the times when maybe you need some. So, uh, yeah, no, they're, they're great. And I haven't been there in a good long while. I do know that uh, they have uh, they have been inventive. They've got Paul's patio now. Paul is one of their patrons. They named the patio after him because he's always there. And so why shouldn't he get his own patio? And uh, one of the big draws of the beer mongers was live sports with sound. And so it's uh, it's there. They've got uh, when there's no rain coming out of the sky, there's a large television mounted outside. Nice. <laughs> um, yep. So I'm opening this in honor of the beer mongers. And uh, of course, you know, we recommend that anybody uh, anybody who is able to support any local small business, but particularly that one. Yeah, there's a, um, speaking of uh, drinking establishments, uh, there's that little, that, that whiskey bar where I met you last, uh, yeah. side, sidecar in Mississippi. Yeah. Super, it's a really super, narrow area, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> narrow is a good way to describe it, but uh, yeah, super small rectangular space, but they've got, you know, the big uh, library uh, ladder and, you know, whiskey up and down. Uh, a really good selection. Yeah, it's not quite steampunk, but it's in that in that uh, uh, as far as the decor is concerned. But yeah, that was the last time that I saw you. I was uh, coming back from work, and uh, yeah, just was like, "Hey, Russ, you're in you're in town. Let's hang out." And so, yes, sidecar, yeah. not a bad place to be, uh, yeah. but only if you're not claustrophobic, I think, <laughs> or if ordering uh, your favorite whiskey would make you less claustrophobic. Right. It is a cozy space, so <laughs> it is. For- yeah. For any of our YouTube stream watchers who feel a bit out of the loop, the Beer Mongers is our only sponsor for the Sprocket podcast. So <laughs> eternal thanks to them and for their support of the show, as well as our generous Patreon supporters. That's right. Yeah. 
Um, so I, I'm thinking now of things that drive you to drink. Uh, Russ, <laughs> if, if you're willing, can things we talk that a little bike bit? you to drink, maybe? <laughs> no, no, drive. It's, ah. it's, uh, <laughs> Russ, uh, you, you've dealt with your fair share of negativity on the internet. One of the, um, I guess one of the downsides or one of the uh, more difficult sides of having a prominent presence about bicycling on the internet is that someone else on the internet thinks you're wrong. Uh, right. So can you, can you tell us a little bit about that and, and maybe how it ties into some of your sticker campaigns? Yeah. Um, you know, that's one of the most challenging things about running a YouTube channel, um, especially as it grows is that, you know, there's, it's just the internet comments. Um, you know, I, I felt like I had a pretty healthy and grounded self-esteem prior, <laughs> but imagine like being insulted for, for no reason, you know, about 23 times a day, every single morning. Yeah. I feel like I don't, you know, I don't care like who, you know, how grounded you are you know, at, at some, at some point it starts to chip away. And, you know, I've been doing the YouTube, you know, seriously for about three, four years and it just aggregates over time. You know, it's like a death by a million paper cuts. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've gotten better. I've developed some filters and, you know, me personally right now, I just don't have a, I have like a zero tolerance policy. But if I can see that someone's not going to be productive, then, you know, just... How do, how do you tell if they're not going to be productive? Uh, well, if it leads with... Uh, well, something. <laughs> it's not. It's not very hard. Um, yeah, yeah, no, you're right. So, but yeah, that's one of the, the toughest things. And what's funny is, you know, when the channel is small, uh, I liken it to like a house party. You know, it's all your friends. Everyone's really chill. Everyone knows each other. Uh, there's no beefs or something. But then as the channel has grown... It's like uh, having that same house party and then your friends inviting their friends and then inviting their tertiary friends. And then we've all been there. Yeah. And then at some point there's like just some, some asshole that, <laughs> that just walked in from the street. So that has been one of the challenges as the channel's grown. It's just the, the amount of negative comments increases and in, in realizing that it's just par for course. Um, you know, some, most days, you know, it's, it's fine. Uh, some days it just really just bothers me to no end, <laughs> but it has, so. yeah. Yeah. I mean, has I, led, yeah, go ahead. It, it has led to some, uh, some interesting hashtags we've created. You know, so I remember one comment, you know, I, I did a video about why I like riding in, in long sleeve shirts. And, and this one person's like, you know, what is all this? You're losing all these watts. You know, why are you dressing the floopy flappy? I was like, <laughs> there it is. So he started, you know, this hashtag, the floopy flappy, where for if people don't want to wear Lycra, which then led to, you know, gra- <laughs> gravel casual. <laughs> <laughs> and then gravel specific. And, you know, so it's, you know, sometimes I, I, I will take the negative comments and try to spin it on its head and make it into mm-hmm. a sticker. <laughs> I, I like especially that, yeah. appreciated the gravel specific being put on things that were very not gravel specific oh, yeah. <laughs> or, or things that weren't even necessarily related to the bike. Yeah, for sure. This, this is gra- entirely anecdotal, but I've noticed you also, you hang out when a video is posted and then like 30 minutes, 45 minutes in, it feels like you, you just have to give yourself a break, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'll try to respond to comments, you know, usually when, when the video launches, um, 
that's when it has the most view velocity and people are watching and want to engage. So I'll, I'll monitor the comments for the first couple hours. Um, Is that like the half-life of uh, negative comments? Well, you'd be surprised, you know, (laughs) (laughs) Um, but it's, it's one of those things where, you know, like I'll log on to our our YouTube and, you know, there's a whole comment section, Uh, you know, you, you have to moderate it and, I try not to read the comments, but sometimes you can't unread something you know, <laughs> as you're moderating. Yes. It just, even though you delete it right away, it just sticks in your head. Um, yeah. But that's, it's some, in some ways, or sometimes the comments lead to actually interesting videos. Like in, the big one is uh, the, our Painter video. Yes. Uh, How is that pronounced? <laughs> yes. Painter. It's not Pannier. <laughs> um, although, you know, see, here's the thing. I don't begrudge anyone, like, however they want to pronounce it. I just, I, I, what bothered me was when people were accusing me of, of uh, purposefully butchering the French language, uh, but didn't do any research themselves. So that was, that was an instance where, you know, I, I review lots of bike bags and I'll pronounce it a certain way. And every, like, you know, I could put it by the clock. There's inevitably someone that's going to tell me I'm pronouncing it incorrectly. So, you know, I had it up to my ears, uh, decided to make a once and for all explainer video about it. Um, reached out to a bunch of lex- lexicographers uh, and etymologists to try to get an expert in language pronunciation. And uh, we, we totally lucked out and got the uh, editor from the Merriam-Webster Dictionary. He's also a cyclist and also edited the, the French uh, Merriam-Webster. So he was like the perfect person. Pay dirt. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And he was super articulate too. So that was great. Yeah. I think I really appreciate about the channel um and and this is something that i feel like is really hard to do is we talked i think when you did one of the um watercolor shows at a bike shop here in portland and you were talking about sort of the slow and steady approach and i think one of the big aspects of that is that what you put out there just has this integrity and it's something that's so easy to slip on and with the amount of companies that you work with i'm curious sort of what your process is with that um and, and sort of like where your line is and, and, and what you what you try to hold yourself in the channel to, because uh, I think it shows that that you really care about that. And that's not something that's true for all YouTubers out there these days. Yeah, we've always um, you know try to keep a pretty strict editorial line. Um, I mean, before before YouTube, I did a lot of freelance writing like I wrote for um, Memento magazine back when they were around uh, Bicycle Times. And, you know, like in, in those traditional p- print publications, there's always this tension between, you know, editor- editorial and advertising. So having seen that, I knew when we were to do our own creative outlet, I just wanted to make that kind of break pretty, pretty clear. Um, so for us, uh, you know, we want the, the financial support to come from the viewer because ultimately they're going to be the most important person in the relationship, right? They're, you know, they're consuming the content, um, you know, they're, they're the community. And, um, you know, when, when creating media like this, you've got options. You can do advertising with brands. That's kind of a, a quick influx of money or, or sponsorship, which uh, seems like initially, you know, the best deal, but in some ways is golden, golden handcuffs, especially in the bike industry. Um, you know, I realized that if you get sponsored by, one brand. Sometimes they don't play well with other brands. And then there's this, mm. well, you can't talk about those brands. And ultimately, you know, I wanted to be able to, to talk about the, the products I wanted to talk about and the way I wanted to talk about them. And the only way that we could do that is if 
we weren't taking money, you know, in, in the form of advertising from, from bike brands, but being supported by the, the viewer base and doing it that way via Patreon and, and sticker sales is, is the, the long runway approach, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, cause it's like you're, you're, you're building a business $3 a month at a time or $7 a month at a time. And, um, you know, as opposed to, you know, doing a brand deal with, with a brand, uh, they'll, you know, pay you $25,000 for the year to, to talk about whatever said product. Um, so we've chosen to, to do the, the long runway approach, uh, partly because, you know, that gives us ultimate um, editorial integrity, but also because realistically in the bike industry, there, there are only a handful of brands um, that, that have money to advertise and that would be interested in advertising with us because we don't do the sports cycling, right? We'll approach a brand and they'll be like, what do you do? You don't race. You don't, you know, you're never yeah, on the podium. Yeah, yeah. You're so, no good to us here. <laughs> yeah. So realistically it's like there, we aren't that attracted to, to many brands and we can't grow more brands, but we can grow a larger audience and, you know, we're not going to win everyone over to, to contribute to the channel. But if we get a small percentage over time, there's actually no, no ceiling to growth when you think about it that way, there's a ceiling to growth with the number of bike brands, you know, but in terms of, um, you know, the viewership, you know, it's a slow road. Uh, but I think ultimately it's, um, the most sustainable one. Um, absolutely. Yeah. And just for anybody listening out there, if, if you enjoy the content on this channel, and you're not donating yet. Russ would never just come out and say it, but I'll say it. Give him your money. Come on. It's good stuff. It's backed by science. It's not biased. It's the, it's the perfect bike channel. It's biased, but you're very, you're very forward about it. And so I think, I think people know my, yeah, I think people know my, people know my biases. Um, you know, in terms of like the review stuff. So like we've, I've reviewed about close to 70 bikes on the channel. And we don't do pay to play, right? Uh, uh, some yeah. magazines, some websites, you know, they won't even touch or review the bike unless there's some adverti- advertising dollars, you know, slip that way. But we've been like, you know, we want to do just bike reviews and, you know, not try not to be influenced by, by any money. Just, just lay that as it is. Um, you know, we've reviewed super cheap bikes, you know, $600 all the way up to, you know, $10,000 full titanium like electronic shifting bikes. Um, you know, I try to treat them the same. Uh, I think of bikes as coffee, <laughs> you know, like, whereas you, there are certain tasting notes and you try to pick them apart, but objectively it's just, you know, an object amongst other, other objects. Uh, so that's been my approach on, on the bike reviews. But it's also addicting and you have to have it every day. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> just like coffee. Yes. <laughs> I will say though, like I've, I've, this past year, there was a point when I was like, you know, I, I actually don't want to review any more bikes unless they're super interesting. And I just want to ride the bikes I own. Like I, I hit this point of, you know, I losing familiarity with, with the own bikes that, that, uh, that I love because I'm always testing other bikes. Yeah. So, uh, if you're stuck in Missoula for the winter, you're going to hit up bear claw for a fat Frank, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> <clears throat> they make some beautiful bikes. By the way, bear claw, good stuff. Um, I, I am curious. We talked about the floopy flabby life, and I'm a big fan of that myself. That's I think, as a matter of fact, it was an early post on the Pathless Huddle blog about uh, 
the concept of you're doing it wrong and just saying that, you know, that's not a thing. It shouldn't be a thing. Don't let it be a thing. Do your thing. And, uh, flat pedals for me, I think was one of the first, it was the, I think that was the subject of the post. Uh, but that really encapsulates kind of the attitude of everything that you do. It's like, Hey, does this do what you want it to do? Is it good for you? Um, and you know, if that's the case, then who cares what anybody thinks about it? Which also is probably encapsulated with you've been doing some croc bicycling, haven't you? I have. Yeah. <laughs> tell, tell us how that feels. <laughs> very, very little SPD crocs. <laughs> no, they're just plain old crocs. <laughs> so the way that the way that started was um, so Daniel Malloy from Tumbleweed Bikes, you know, came over and he went bike fishing, and uh, he and his partner wore bedrocks, and Laura wore bedrocks, and just to be contradictory i wore crocs as, yeah. as a joke but then when we were riding i was like dang these are actually really comfortable <laughs> <laughs> so after that video i just started wearing you know just kind of wearing crocs and found that i really liked it i, I bought a slightly smaller size so it wasn't so like um, flabby. yeah so so yeah. loose in there um it just raised so much internet ire it's like you've, <laughs> you've, you've given up on life if you wear crocs <laughs> Everybody's saying you can't do that. And you're saying, why not? Right. And that's, you know, that, and honestly, that's, that's one of the things that uh, motivates the channel is like, why not? Uh, one of the silly things I did was, uh, you know, someone, a very generous viewer lent us some, um, some power meter pedals, Ooh. you know, like the, there's like $800 pedals and you yeah. measure your, your Watts. Um, and of course being on brand, the first thing I did was I put platform adapters on them (laughs) (laughs) and and rode my bike in Crocs just to see, you know, Croc Watts. (laughs) (laughs) Hashtag Croc Watts. I see another sticker coming. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. One of the, Um, uh, Oh, after you. And one of the the phrases I think that's, that's really sticking. We were always like just trying goofy things because they make fun stickers and shirts, but the, the, the idea of party pace, right? Yeah. So typically you go on the group ride, there's like the A group, there's a B group, you know, people are very apologetic, apologetic. You know, I'm going to be slow. I like to ride in the back, all this stuff. Um, and there wasn't like a positive way to say, you know, I'm okay with riding the pace I am. You know, it was like, I'm in the B group or I'm going to ride slow. So I wanted like an affirmative way where you can just own, own your pace. You know, if, if you're not, you know, trying to bust your balls and, and be on the podium um, and party pace just is like, that's, that's it, you know, and you can, it's not a specific speed. It's more of like an attitude. You know, you're not, you know, you're there to, to ride your own ride. You know, you're unapologetically not racing if, if that's your thing. Um, but I, I love that as a concept. Absolutely. And the stickers are gorgeous. Yeah. Aren't they uh, glow in the dark and sparkly? Uh, the stickers are, are 80s hologram and yeah. the, <laughs> the patches are glow, are glow in the dark. <laughs> okay, there we go. <laughs> That's fantastic. I feel like no, no follow-up to the, to the previous episode on the Sprocket with Russ would be complete without talking about bike fishing. Oh, yeah. Uh, yes. <laughs> did, did we get into that last time or should we go there now? Yeah, let's let's, let's go there now because obviously I'm sure you've updated some of your approaches since the last time we talked about it. it's been uh, six years. Yeah, I mean it's you know at its essence, bike fishing hasn't changed. It's, uh, but uh, I started down the lark um, kind of at the time when uh, bike packing was exploding, but it was very focused on like ultralight and minimal, and you have to be really Spartan in your approach. And I was like, that's just it's not me. Let's do something silly that that no one can turn into a competitive thing. So um, you know. Prior to the hashtag, I'd, I'd been fishing my bike, but the hashtag just made it kind of quasi-official. 
Um, and this is the fascinating thing. Like when I, when we first started posting about bike fishing, people were giving me all sorts of crap in the, in the comments. Um, you know, that's not, you know, you're not a real cyclist or blah, 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 blah. But, you know, fast forward and there's been brand videos that use the word bike fishing. Ooh. Uh, you know, there's, yeah, like different, like, Fishing brands and cycling brands have created brand content around bike fishing. So and just like uh, the 107 whiskey, it's super expensive now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, you know, kind of, you know, I authentically love fishing my bike, but it was also a bit of a test to see, you know, if you can wag the dog. And I feel like, you know, some brands bit. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, litigation is pending for the Pat Post pedal? Is, is this is what I'm Yeah, well, when Specialized does a bike fishing video, we'll, we'll call up our, our, uh, our, our big uh, big building lawyers. And <laughs> I do know a great contractor. Yeah. Paris, Sprocket Edition. Yeah. Or, uh, sorry, Pat Post Pedal Edition. Well, we expect the Sprocket Edition, too. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sure, of course. Uh, that was a given. I've already contacted Ron Poupil. Uh He's going <laughs> to yeah. build us a pocket. Fisherman Sprocket Edition. Nice. <laughs> but this, you know, it's super fun. Um, you know, prior to moving to Missoula, Laura and I were actually training it, tangentially related to bike fishing. Uh, this event called uh, the Flyathlon, and it was uh, a trail running and fly fishing. Uh, event. No way. Yeah, it was in Colorado, and you could either be a re- really good fisherman. Uh, because when you caught fish, it would deduct from your running time, or you could be a really fast runner. <laughs> <laughs> this is fantastic. Yeah, this is yeah. awesome. What was your strategy? Which one were you angling towards? Uh, definitely the the better fisherman. So, okay. <laughs> but unfortunately, that was like right when we moved, and there were wildfire wildfires, and we had to stop yeah. our training. So we didn't. We had to cancel the the plane tickets to Colorado. But uh, it's unfinished business. <laughs> Indeed, something to be done soon. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, remind me, Guthrie, you haven't done it yet. Have you, uh, bike fishing? Yeah. Or bike running? No. Uh, or both. Uh, <laughs> Flyathloning. Yeah. Fly <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. For, for our listeners who've been tuning into the sprocket, um, I recently completed a journey from Portland over to Eastern Oregon and brought the bike raft. So I'm finally in that, uh, in that zone, I guess. I just wanted to social distance this summer. And, uh, that, that's as close to things with water and bikes as I've gotten, which is pretty close all things considered, but that was pretty fun. So where do you, where do you take the raft? Uh, so far the Deschutes river and I'm pretty close to the Willower river. So right now I'm talking with a kid that I grew up with actually, who's run it quite a few times. And basically we're figuring out where the barbed wire fences are. And after (laughs) we get that sorted, it's going to be a go because the barbed wire fences go across the river, right? Oh yes, they do. So yeah, yep. so you can't you, you, you can't take inflatable things down just anywhere. It's going to be some portaging, you know, like if you do the um, GDMBR, you're you're packing over logs, but if you do the Wallawa, you're packing over fences. So <laughs> I've got time. It'll it'll be fun. That's yeah. great, uh, Russ. Is there any hope for some pack rafting videos coming from Pathless Pedal anytime soon? Uh, it would be fun. You know, we've, <laughs> I've got so many hobbies. Yeah. <laughs> I, just, I just, I just really got into to birding like a couple of weeks ago. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Who, who you, um, it's kind of like fishing, but you're not getting wet. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I'm right there with you. I, I've adopted a family of, uh, scrub jays and, and crows actually. Yeah. I've, I've really enjoyed it because it activates this part of my brain that likes to, to, to observe and, and, uh, categorize. Right. 
Yeah. And I, th- I think like if you're into like coffee tasting or beer tasting or like bike testing, like there's this aspect of the brain where it's like, oh, what is this thing? How does it compare to this other thing? You know, what are the details about this? You know, what are the conditions in which you know I can see this thing? Um, so for me, it's less about looking at at cute, fluffy animals and more almost like the the game of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and just understanding where they're, they're, you know, where they're flying from, what their behaviors are, but also like a, a big realization was, um, they're actually, you know, if you look at a bird, it's usually in the act of, of trying to kill something or avoid being killed. <laughs> you know, it look it looks cute while doing it, but it's usually eating an insect, you know, attacking something or trying to flee from an attack. I think this um, might be the difference between like Montana birds and Portland birds. <laughs> no, none, but of, honestly, none of the corvids I observe are like, well, some of them maybe have already killed something, but <laughs> like a, a good example is we were uh, out in the backyard Creek in kind of gray nondescript, like said, you know, uh, swim in the water. And we just watched it like, pick up a, a big stone fly and then it bashed it against a rock and ate it. <laughs> ah, Picked nice. up a fish, yes. bashed it, you know, it, it, that's, that's what, that's its most operandi. Uh, and also like the strike uh, that likes to impale uh, its prey before it eats it. That's um, pretty fascinating life of birds. <laughs> it's impressive. Yeah. And all while, you know, all while eating so much and yeah. staying so fit. It's, I think that's the thing I appreciate most about birds. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So what you're saying is you're ready for your, your big year. Like next year is going to be the one you, you like you started, but you're ready for it. Uh, yeah. I don't know if I can talk Laura into a big year, okay. <laughs> uh, but it's, you know, it is challenging. I remember, um, you know, what started off was, you know, I got these Instagram binoculars to, to review. Um, and it's actually quite hard to find a bird. Like you can hear yeah. it, you can kind of, notice which tree it's in maybe which quadrant of the tree but to actually like pick it out amongst the um the leaves and do it quick enough you know there's like all this motor skill and um i don't know it's it's been a it's been a fun kind of game slash activity (laughs) yeah uh do you have any tips how how do you tell which quadrant of the tree the bird is in i don't know i'm still (laughs) all right (laughs) i'm still trying to figure that out like laura Laura is far more observant with me uh more observant than i I actually talked her into, we biked down to a local birding trail um, and she could pick them out of the trees a lot quicker. I mean, I could find them, you know, once, when she pointed them out, but um, yeah, it was fun. Yeah. Well, it's low impact too. It's right. Take only pictures and leave only footprints. It is. Yeah. I finally have an activity that won't, won't upset any uh, uh, vegan viewers. Right. Right. Cause that's <laughs> the, the one problem with bike fishing is that uh, the fish. Right. Yeah. I, again, yeah. again, it's just like clockwork. It's like I'm waiting for that that fish torture comment to pop up. <laughs> <Any> right. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, you put out videos at a kind of incredible pace. Honestly, um, I'm curious. Like, what are the what are the three things you haven't put out that you're just like, no, nah, this is so off the wall that like I don't even know if it would stick anywhere. And would you mind if we did those? <laughs> uh you know i've got all sorts of ideas for parody videos <laughs> like if i had time and uh like i had this you know i wanted to make a, a parody video on ultralight uh, bike packing actually yeah and, <laughs> and the idea i actually uh, brock i was actually going to ask you to do the the voiceover because i need like a, Happy to. A, a deep commanding voice and be first there's bike touring 
Then there is, you know, then you, you broke freedom from the racks. There is bike packing and now freedom from the, the bags and it's uh, pants packing where you just have all sorts of like cargo pockets <laughs> your all cargo over your pants. shirts. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, like no this. racks, no rules. <laughs> One man goes into the woods. So you got to take it with all like, he can carry. The next right. step further where like somebody's just biking in their underwear and then like, you know, holding whatever they can like in one yeah. arm. <laughs> Super. I wanted ultimate. to get like a, I wanted to get anything cages and like duct tape it to your leg and just put. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, if you have some old tires, like stick stick the the bars on the tires and there's like the peel away, like you're cutting the carcass of this like LP found in the woods or something. Yeah. I think we're Sorry. talking about like stuff I would actually do. Like, this is. Like, <laughs> I, w- I would buy like a, a cargo suit, absolutely exoskeleton for the uh, for the true bike packer. You right. would definitely <laughs> bike tour in just your underwear. Oh, absolutely, <laughs> we'll we'll send you the B roll for that, Russ. There you go. Thanks. <laughs> um, I also wanted to do uh, like a really dramatic uh, Rafa esque video on like a carbon fiber basket. And call ah. it the raft skit, where it's like, <laughs> <laughs> where it's like the screen's completely black, and then you have like this hard light kind of lighting the edge of like a walled basket, and it's like the performance basket is here. <laughs> where do you work in the espresso shop for that one? Right. <laughs> and then there's going to be like a either the raft skit, but in the the Rafa font, and love it. Or yeah. like the the, the the idea was to have like the the walled basket in black and one kind of wire. Uh, is pink because you know how they do that like little. Oh right, <laughs> you gotta have, you gotta have your flair. Right. <laughs> well, you 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 know based on the the folks you've interviewed in the past, you know your tier one through tier five manufacturers. So I feel like you've got to do that one. That's true. <laughs> I actually got um uh, one of the coolest emails uh, I've gotten recently was uh from the the grandson of Ed Edwald, who is the family namesake of, of, uh, walled baskets. Um, I think yeah. they're, they're, they're made in Kentucky and, you know, he was, he, he emailed about like doing some review stuff. And I was like, you know, what we should do is a factory tour, a live, live factory tour of wall. Like people would, would absolutely love that. Yeah. Um, so that's going to happen soon. They're, they're working on a, on a rebranding project, but once that's, that's done, um, get a live factory tour of, of, of wall baskets. <laughs> That'd nice. be exciting. I, yeah. You know, rebranding always makes me nervous because like the, the thing that you love sometimes just falls prey to bad imaging uh, because somebody thinks it needs <laughs> it. And sometimes it goes well, I'm sure with wall it will, but mm. uh, do you remember uh Viso energy drinks uh, from your time in Portland? <laughs> it was a, a regional energy beverage. It used to be my favorite way to get caffeine. Um, they had this diet. Uh, it was like what? Grapefruit, grape, um, like a yeah, it was 300 milligrams of caffeine and no sugar. It was the most amazing thing you'd ever had. Tons of B uh, vitamins too. I used to have two a day, and I started to wonder why I was feeling weird, and I think that was probably why. <laughs> uh, but but yeah, they went through a couple of different rebranding things, and the first time it was just like the image started getting weird, and it never really came back to to what it started with. And then uh, then they reformulated the whole thing, and they were like, "We got to get rid of the vitamin taste." And I realized that was exactly why I was there, is because it tastes like vitamins. So. <laughs> Oh, oh well, but uh, Pathless Pedal has gone through a couple of different iterations, and I, I don't know. I guess you've changed like kind of imaging logos, that sort of thing, right? Like you've updated over time. Uh, what do you have? Uh, I suppose maybe the, the current one is is your favorite. 
that's why it's the current one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> How do you think about the evolution of your brand over time? Yeah. Um, it's interesting. Like one of like looking back, uh, I'm glad that we didn't name the, the website back then or the entity. Like I love bike touring, you know, because <laughs> things change. Was that even a possibility? Was that one of the... uh, probably not, but okay. you know, like it was fairly kind of nebulous path loss pedal could mean many things. I like the ambiguity of it. Uh, because back then, you know, we were totally into to self-supported bike touring, um, but, but it's it's definitely changed over time. Um, now it's like overnights or, or gravel or all these other extracurricular activities you can do with it. And I like that it's been fluid enough uh, to 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 follow those other the other passions. I also feel like we're we're pretty fortunate that we've got a, a core audience that is willing to indulge like all the weird things I'm interested in. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's been that's been a real boon. Is that um, you can still be largely about bikes, but we can follow other tangents. You know, it could be about fishing, could be about birding, could be about art making, um, you know, things like that. Uh, and that's it's actually it's also one of the challenging things because I know that that people discover the website, discover the YouTube channel um, at different parts of our personal journey, and sometimes it may diverge. So sometimes we lose viewers, sometimes we get viewers back. Um, Sometimes, you know, completely new people come on. Uh, so it saddens me a little bit when, when we lose people that have been there for a long time. But, you know, it's, it's just life. It's like you, you, you grow apart, you know, your interests you know, as, as friends, as people. Um, but we definitely try, or I definitely try to, to make it um, as malleable um, kind of a brand as possible. <laughs> you know, because it, yeah. it's, it would suck if you just did one thing, one thing only for the rest of your life. You know, one trick pony. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're, you always change. You have new interests. Um, so yeah, I, I feel like that's, that's probably one of the smarter decisions was to make it kind of ambiguous enough that it can, it can uh, metamorphosize with, with our own lives. Tell me the Oops. guy from Coldplay is not getting tired. Right. Just doing the one thing <laughs> over and over again. Yeah. Or like just some band that was popular in the eighties. And it's like, play that one song. Right. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I'm looking extra hard at Brock. Uh, you know i mean that's kind of the secret to youtube burnout is just to do one thing i mean look at the number of channels that have have sort of been like hey sorry folks like i'm doing this now so i I feel like it's nice that you haven't you you paint but you haven't painted yourself into a corner yeah Uh like what i did there (laughs) it is interesting i feel like um you know we're on we're on the last quarter of the way to, to getting to a hundred thousand. And that's been the goal I've had for a long time. So I'm, if you've, if you've noticed on the channel, like I'm putting out sometimes four to five videos a week. And I think I'm, I'm getting into that mode where it's like, I just want to sprint to the end, get to a hundred thousand. And, and for whatever reason, I don't know if that means success or, or whatever, but it's been a milestone for so long. I just want to get it done and over with. Um, I like to describe it as like my, my creative dirty Kansas, <laughs> ah. you know, like we didn't finish, we didn't finish DK and it frustrated me because it's, you know, it's not because like I don't have endurance, you know, it's just a different kind, you know, I'm yeah. like a masochist when it comes to creative endurance, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but you don't get a medal for that. They don't put you on the podium. <laughs> I mean, like YouTube comes the closest you get a, like a silver play button. So for we're me, we're going to do a podium for you when you get to a hundred thousand, we're going to do a thing. We'll make this happen yes. somehow. Nice. But for me, that's, that's just like, that's, you know, that for me, that's equivalent of, of uh, completing DK in, in a creative way, just having 
the tenacity, stick with it, uh, to keep making content. Um, yeah. And then after that, I'm going to take a two week vacation. <laughs> Just two weeks. That's all. <laughs> and all you do is wear Crocs and fish. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Well, we're we're just uh, pleased as punch to be uh, to be wrapped up and and to have as many chances to talk to you and chances to be involved in what you and and Laura do. And uh, thank you so much for 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 doing it. You're you're putting a voice out there again for the people who don't care what the masses say and are like, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to do it uh, the way that makes sense. Uh, going to do it at the party pace. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Thanks for having me again. Um, I mean, one of the things that we were joking about was we should have like a live countdown party. We'll send, definitely send you guys an invite if it, if it gets to, to that point. Sweet. <laughs> yeah. I'm into that. Yeah. Fabulous. Uh, Aaron Guthrie, any other questions before we call it a day? I think I'm good. All right. Cool. Yeah. So, Thanks for us. Yeah. Yeah. So do you guys have a particular way you want to close out and I'll close out the, the live stream? Oh, that's <laughs> the question we asked to you is, uh, as we, <laughs> as we read our credits, is there any particular fashion whim style or etiquette in which you'd like us to observe you can also <laughs> mulligan and just say read the credits <laughs> just read the credits <laughs> <laughs> all right sounds good should we take every third sounds like a plan all right and thanks to anybody who's still watching on youtube i'm not looking at the stream but thanks for thanks Thank for watching from, well, they're, from they're, they're not here for us they're here for russ <laughs> we know we know why they're here <laughs> <laughs> cool all right uh well uh thank you everyone for for watching a behind the scenes taping of the sprocket podcast again if you're uh, if you're new to the podcast, you should definitely look them up. Uh, what was the sprocketpodcast.com was the URL? From? That is the it? sprocketpodcast.com and everywhere, every good place podcasts can be found. <laughs> but not on <laughs> iTunes because that's not no, a thing anymore. It doesn't exist. No. <laughs> <laughs> so they've got over 500 episodes of bike uh, goodness. Uh, lots of amazing stories that they've told over a decade. Uh, so definitely check them out. And let's see what else uh, we've got uh, on the channel later this week or not this channel, but on the alternative cycling network. Again, we're going to have state bike uh, be our guest there. So definitely check that out. And also um, I don't have it near me. Otherwise I would show you, but Ortley just did a new drop. They've uh, redesigned a bunch of their bike packing bags. And one of the coolest things is they've redesigned the fork bag with its own uh, specific mount and it's engineered so it can connect to a suspension fork. One literally just arrived today. So I think I'm going to film that video tomorrow and probably post it tomorrow just to, to have some breaking news on the YouTube channel. But I uh, hope you guys enjoyed this content. And if you like and if you want to support the channel, uh, check out the links in the description below, links to Patreon, all that good stuff. Bye party pay sticker or, or patch or don't just keep watching. And as always keep the supple side down. All right. Bro. Uh, Sweet. Well right. done. Do you have a, do you, do you use a uh, cue sheet or you just got it down pat now? I just, just talk a lot. Perfect. <laughs> Repetition is key. That's that like cool. one of the best, best things about uh, doing the YouTube channel is like, I feel like public speaking has gotten easier <laughs> just ah. because I, you know, just shooting, you know, two, three videos every other day. So nice. No, it's, it's been lovely to follow you along that journey. Thank you so much for what you're doing out there. Yeah. Yeah. Excited Thanks to see more of Laura on the channel too. I, I miss her. I mean, we're, we're keeping her busy uh, beyond just the channel. She's doing a lot of uh, the bike tourism consulting work that we were doing before. Um, and she's just tackling that. 
that stuff. So. Nice. Yeah. I, uh, I picked up the episode that you guys released with, uh, the stories, uh, with, uh, with the cool music too. Nice. Yeah. The, the music interludes. And then that recording you had of the dude with, uh, with the, it sounded like a, a guitar that's really hard to play. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he made beautiful music out of it in a beautiful moment. That was incredible. That uh, I don't remember the episode number, but that's a good one to go back to. If anybody wants to hear uh, cool bike touring stories. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, that was shortly after we got the the broadcaster, and I was like, you know what, I want to do like a live-ish American Life thing, and yeah, you know, had the music cued on the pads, and yeah, it was a fun experiment, but took a lot of work. To <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, cool. shall we roll this? I suppose Let's so. Roll it. Um, real quick, Russ. Too. Not that we haven't said it already, but where can people find you on the internet? Uh, we've got a website, pathlesspel.com. Um, also on the YouTube, that's where you'll find us mostly. Uh, just search for Pathless Pedal and we're on the Instagrams. Everything feeds into each other. So all sorts of good bikey content all the time. Awesome. Thank you so much. Ready for this? The Sprocket Podcast is produced formerly at X-Ray FM Studios. Thank you, X-Ray. But now we're doing it out of our homes and apartments because that's how it rolls this day. Our website is thesprocketpodcast.com. Email to thesprocketpodcast at gmail.com. Call or text 503-847-9774. Twitter and the Instagram at Sprocket Podcast. Thanks to Ryan J. Lane for our theme music, what we've been using for 10 years. Hurt Bird for a headline sounder. Also 10 years. Marcus Norman for graphic design, slightly less than 10 years. Seven years, yeah. <laughs> and thanks to the generous support of our Patreon supporters and listeners. Shadowfoot, Wayne Norman, Eric Iverson. Cameron Lean, Richard Wazinski, Tim Mooney. Glenn Kubish, Matt Kelly, Eric Wise. Todd Parker, Dan Gebhardt. Who's a time, who's a time traveler. traveler. Chris Smith, Caleb Jenkinson, J.P. Keeley. Peanut Butter Jar Matt, Marco Lowe, Rich Otterstrom. Andrew in Colorado, Drew the Welder, Anna. She's in Canada. Wow. <laughs> Andre Johnson, King of Division, Richard G. Guthrie Straw, who is on this screen right in front of me. Aaron Green, author of We Were Like Sons and founder of the Regranary. Campsite, Mac Nurse David, Nathan Poulton. Rory in Michigan, Jeremy Kitchen, David Belay. Tim Coleman, Harry Hugel, E.J. Finneran. Brad Hipwell, Thomas Skato, Keith Hutchison. Ranger Tom, Joyce Wilson, Ryan Tam. Jason Oftenberg, Microcosm Publishing, David Moore. Todd Grosbeck, Making Amazing Paintings, yes. Chris Barron. Chris Barron and Chris Barron. Sean Baird, Simon Pace, Gregory Braithwaite, who commented on the live stream this evening. Thank Yay. you so much for joining us, Gregory. Yeah. Ryan Morrow, Dude Luna, Matthew Rooks, Kaka! Marshall, Paula at Funitake Cyclecraft, Philip M., Spartan Dale, no, no relation. relation, Mr. T., who never really left, Bike Initiative, Kiwana, Sarah G., Adam D., Go Dig a Hole, Beth Hammond. Greg Murphy, Myra Martinez, also. Isaac M., David Christensen, 503. Byron Patterson, JT, and our newest donor, Kirsten Graham, unless that's you. And to all of our former donors who helped us get this far. 
Now wash your hands. And wear your mask. And go to bed. <laughs> and brush your teeth. But not while wearing your mask. Nice.